What is up, guys? Thank you all for listening in to and watching this special edition of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. I'm joined by Kendall here. And joining us to talk about the Knicks hiring of Coach Tom Thibodeau is Knicks Film School, Sports Illustrated's own Jonathan Macri. John, uh, you came with us a couple years ago. You jumped on to do a State of the Knicks podcast. You're back now to talk about the Tibbs hiring. Of course, me being a Knicks fan on this podcast, we talk about the Knicks a bunch. So I'm glad to have you on the show again. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, no, it's been a while. Um, yeah. It ha- hasn't been a ton to talk about in the last couple of years. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is these days of hope uh, come around periodically for Nick fans. So, um, you know, I think it's there's a reason to be, I guess, excited, but also obviously all of the, the usual concerns as well. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to try to get into all of it as much as we can here. I want to start off by first congratulating you because you were the first media person really to come out definitively on the record and say that uh, Tibbs was far and away the favorite, that uh, it was basically his job to lose, that it was a 90% chance that he'd be the pick. And again, that was way back in, during the winter time, pre-COVID, which seems like, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, we'll, get into, <laughs> we'll get into what uh, Tibbs um, uh, in the front office said during the virtual presser. But what were you hearing back then that made Tibbs to the Knicks such an attractive option and vice versa with with Tibbs wanting this job so much? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and not to not to put down my own reporting, but I I do want to say that, you know, Leon Rose and I guess we'll talk about it, said at the presser that this was a legitimate process, a thorough process. Um, And I believe that I believe that he went into these other candidate interviews, you know, thinking that, all right, look, I'm going to keep an open mind, the whole thing. But I just think the combination of the fact that, um, you know, Leon Rose being an agent and being in the business and seeing how good organizations operate and what's the one thing every good organization has in common, it's that they work together cohesively. I mean, occasionally you get the rare exception where there's discord between maybe a coach in the front office or something like that, and they could still win. But most of the time it's, you know, everybody's in lockstep. So I think when you factor in that and you factor in the fact that um, Tibbs, you know, his resume was far and away the best of everybody else out there and also there's a relationship with him in the Knicks and him at the Garden and he was there as an assistant coach under um, Jeff Van Gundy for a lot of years um, so you know I, I what I was basically hearing is all of that was you know it was out there and it made him the prohibitive favorite um, going in but there's a reason that it was 90% and not 99 or 100 because there's always a chance that some other candidate comes in and blows you away. And I think what, what happened during the interview process is just that, um, you know, that didn't happen. Nobody else came in and, and blew their socks off. Although, you know, there was the reporting that Jason Kidd had a very nice interview, which I don't doubt. It's a very good talker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just, just happy. He's not the next coach. Oh yeah. I said, I said last week on the podcast, and I tweeted that if there was any way to unite Knicks fans behind Tibbs because there were and I've been you know detracted to some degree putting that kid out kid report out <laughs> the day before you hire Tibbs I'm not gonna say it was intentional but it it did what you would have wanted to if you were trying to do something like that yeah I I don't know you know I I don't know if that was the reason for it I do think he legitimately had a very good interview 
I think um, James Dolan has um, in the past fallen in love with uh, smooth talkers. Isaiah Thomas comes to mind. Um, I mean, he's as smooth a talker as there is. So it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if that if that you know and, and plus you know you always have to work out the contract right and five years, especially when you know I mean forget about like we, we don't even know if there's going to be basketball next year. I mean I know that's maybe seem like it's over the top, but to to give a coach five guaranteed years in this economic climate is a lot. And if that was always going to be Tibbs' kind of hard line in the sand, um, I. You never know. Maybe maybe they wouldn't have relented and kid would have gotten a job in that case. But, um, yeah, let's be thankful that it's it's not him. Yeah. Now, now you've talked a lot about, obviously, you know, you were you know, one of the first guys on the Tibbs situation. But, you know, in the press conference, we saw him talk a lot about the next step being what's Thibodeau's coaching staff going to look yeah. like. Obviously, we've heard reports about, you know, Mike Woodson might be involved. We've heard guys – connected to CAA, like Rod Strickland and uh, Kenny Payne, assistant at Kentucky, possibly being involved. Do you expect this to look like more of a coaching staff that's going to be picked by the front office, or do you expect we'll see a lot of guys from the Thibodeau coaching tree that we've seen in years past? What do you expect this front office to look like, or this coaching staff, rather, to look like? Sure. Um, You know, somebody who kind of knows a little bit about the Knicks thinking with this – told me that they view the coaching staff almost as its own team and that it would be built like you build a team where you, and and, you know, Tibbs even has spoken about this, right? He spoke about it a little bit at the press conference. He's spoken about it when he's done podcasts uh, and interviews before about how you need different types of people. You need different personalities. Uh, So I think it's going to be a combination. I mean, Shams reported that Woodson um, is going to be on the staff that had been out there. I would be utterly shocked if Mike Woodson was, or sorry, if Mike Miller um, was not on the staff. Um, I think uh, Ed Pickney, who Mark Berman reported earlier today, he's been on Tibbs' staffs in Chicago and Minnesota. Um, That's a logical choice. I believe that Kenny Payne, you know, especially when you factor in, uh, Worldwide West's connection with John Calipari and the players that the Knicks are inevitably going to be linked to in the coming years. And, you know, we don't, we don't have to talk about that today, but <laughs> there's Kenny Payne. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, we've heard Rod Strickland. I, I actually could see Rod Strickland maybe more in a, a player development capacity working alongside um, Alan Houston. I know Alan hasn't done the player development stuff, but he, he was in charge of the G League team. I think he may still be. So, and then the only other thing I would add is I wouldn't be shocked if there was one or two, eh, maybe one, um, holdover from, uh, you know, the Fisdale staff that started last year because the, you know, the younger players, especially on this team, had good relationships with some of those guys. Like uh, two guys I'll say in particular, Pat Sullivan and uh, Caleb Canales, like, you know, I, I, if you if if there was like a, a human bundle of energy, it's like Caleb Canales. Uh, he's like yeah. he was, I think, at one point the youngest head coach in history when he was. Yeah. A, I think he took over as an interim for a while. Yeah, amazing guy, uh, super nice, and Pat Sullivan's a great assistant coach too. So I think it's going to be like an amalgamation of all three three things. But you know, even if Tibbs isn't necessarily like making the, f- it's not 
it's it's a choice that's made with him and the front office. I don't think he would be amenable to somebody coming aboard that he didn't want to coach with. I think he's going to be fine with everything. So I think people were maybe making a little bit too much out of that angle. Yeah, and and speaking on uh, you know, looking at and kind of picking apart, you know, how this Knicks franchise can be put together with this new regime. One of the things I picked up on in the news conference was Tibbs kept emphasizing the importance of implementing a plan. And I used the word implementing particularly because which was fascinating to me is that it juxtaposes interestingly how we saw the last regime operate when Fisdale was hired and when Scott Perry was yes. hired. And the plan was very obvious and very explicit. It was we're gonna have this <laughs> likable coach in Fisdale we're going to yep. have all this cap space and, you know, potentially, hopefully, KP involved. And we're going to use the, that and New York City to bring in one or two stars. On Thursday, Leon Rose said there was no timetable to make a winner in New York. And like I said, you know, Tibbs was kind of like, you know, we've got to implement a plan. And finding a plan that makes sense is going to be of most importance. Does it surprise you that the Knicks appear to still be trying to figure out what direction exactly they want to go in? Or do you feel like they're holding their cards to the vest? I think it's it's two very 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 different things because with with the previous regime and I I say that with um, an asterisk because obviously Scott Perry was there then and Scott Perry's still there now. True. Although you know how much decision making power he has, I guess we'll we'll see. Um, that plan was completely and totally off the court, right? Like sure. Fizz said things about, I want to play big and I'm all about length. And we're going to, you know, it was all the usual platitudes and BS. They never had a plan as far as like, we are going to drill into our basketball team, these tenets, like whatever they are. Yeah. And this is how, this is what it's going to mean to play Nick basketball. Like again, yeah, there was talk about dogs and, and, and cats and mice and gerbils and whatever. Unless you're, media day and again it was all nonsense and and it's it's funny to laugh at now but it was you know whatever this is this is different and you know um i just pulled it up because i retweeted the article earlier john greenberg who's with um the athletic he covered tibbs uh his entire time in chicago and he talks about a decade ago um and he mentioned that this isn't really doable now because players you know, they all have their own trainers and they go, a lot of them go to LA in the summer. But like back in 2010, when he took over the Bulls, he had these just like ultra, ultra, ultra intense, intense. Um, they were called informal practices, but they were anything but informal. And that was when he laid down the foundation of like, all right, this is the, you know, for this is the position you get your body in. This is how to, like, we always talk about ice, right? Like, what is ice? It's, it's you have to push the pick and roll towards the sideline. Well, right. you need to know how to react, when to react, how to position your body, how to get your feet, how, where, to, where your hands, like, all that stuff needs to be drilled. I don't think Fisdale and his staff, all due respect to them, and this is no shade on the assistants because it was Fisdale's, you know, party. It was, you know, I don't think that ever happened here. All right. And that's just an assumption on my part. But I mean, look, the product on the court did speak otherwise. Yeah. The tape, the tape suggests that. Yeah. They, they had no know, identity. Exactly. That's why you hire Tom Thibodeau. And that's why when you hear all the players and I just, you know, I retweeted a bit ago what Ronnie Brewer said to me on my podcast uh, last month. 
like players who want to work and players who want to get better, they're not going to mind doing that stuff. And that's what Tibbs's specialty is, is getting those nitty gritty details in. And, and so when I think when you talk about having a plan, I, I think in Tibbs mind, it's you get the incremental stuff first, but you also have the big picture in mind. And I'm not talking about we want to get this or that free agent. I'm talking about all right, this is how we want to defend pick and roll coverages. This is how much we want to switch. This is these are the type of shots we want to force. Like, you know, these are the type of shots we want to hunt. All that stuff. So, you know, same rhetoric, different execution. Let's let's say that. Now, one of the things, you know, me and EJ, when we talked about it on our podcast uh, earlier this week about this Thibodeau hire, one of the things that excites me um, is what this could mean for the development of Mitchell Robinson uh, and potentially R.J. Barrett as well. But for me, especially Mitchell Robinson, given what Thibodeau has done with KG when he was in Boston, what he did with Joakim Noah, kind of turning those guys from very good defenders into, you know, borderline Hall of Fame defenders. Uh, Mitch Robinson has just as much, if not more, physical talent uh, on the defensive end as those guys. Um, what do you see in terms of what Thibodeau can do for those two players in terms of their development um, as Nick's has coach in the next year or two? Even uh, going back a bit, but even Yao Ming, uh, Tibbs, I believe, was the one who worked with Yao Ming more and than I'd say Marcus Camby. I, I, I throw Marcus Camby in there, too. <laughs> Talk about going back. Um, no, he's he's had he's had big men. He's had really good defenders. I mean, KG is maybe the greatest defensive player ever. Um, but I'll, I'll steal Zach Lowe's line from uh, when he did uh, a program with Ian Begley earlier this week. He's never had anybody like Mitchell Robinson, and that's because I don't know that there's been ten players like Mitchell Robinson physically yeah. in the history of basketball. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like Mitch is. He, you, I mean, you can't – who can do what he does? And I think he has gotten such a bad reputation. And look, the foul numbers are what they are. But I think he's gotten a bad reputation as a guy who doesn't have the instincts that it takes to be a great defensive player. And I don't see that as the problem with Richard Robinson, which is why I think Tibbs – if you want to talk about someone that you're going to see a night and day difference from, and I mean, this is not to say that Mitch was bad defensively last year. He's very good. And I still think it's going to be night and day. It's Mitch because his fouls came when he got, you know, frustrated and would do like, you know, have low hands, for instance, and he would grab or, you know, stuff that like, that's not instinct. That's just like, it's a little bit technique, but it's also a little bit just being young and getting frustrated and not having those fundamentals drilled into you. Tibbs, man, with that, whew, if you're asking me, I, I said last year Mitchell Robinson was the player I was most excited to see on the Knicks, and that's going to be my same answer this year, and it's going to be because of Thibodeau. Um, I'm actually more curious to see how they try to feature Mitch on the offensive end. Um and I'm not even talking about like jump shots. I just want to like their entire offense should be predicated on trying to get that guy uh, lobs. But I digress. Uh, as far as RJ, um, you know, I think RJ is going to progress on his own as an offensive player. Uh, the shot is going to be whatever the shot is. The finishing is going to be what the finishing is. That's a function of spacing as much as anything else. Um, on defense, I'm really curious because RJ, like the advanced numbers on him defensively were really bad last year. 
Um, his awareness was not great. Um, he he's a big body, and we saw a couple times when they would try to slot him onto guys like Bradley Beal and like other like traditional shooting guards. Like that didn't go very well, and I I'm not sure how that's going to be better. So for me, I guess that the question there is like, how is he going to use RJ? And is he going to play him at the two? Or is he going to try to slide him down more to the three? Maybe. I mean, I've been saying since the day he was drafted that I think he's a small ball four in the modern game. Not all the time, but, you know, whatever. 25% of the time, 35% of the time. So that's what I'm going to be curious to see with RJ. And I I think he'll have a nice effect because I think RJ's personality um, is going to fit very well with Tibbs. And I mentioned this before, like, Tibbs coached with Coach K on Team USA. So, you know, I I think there's a connection there. And it's, you know, Coach K, I think, is demanding. And I think RJ wants that. I think RJ was as frustrated as anybody in the locker room last year. Now, when you talk about, you know, RJ and Mitchell Robinson, those are two players that Tibbs felt comfortable mentioning during his uh, press conference about players he thought that could contribute to what he was trying to build. He didn't welcome any praise for anyone else unsolicited. Um, <laughs> Frank Nilakina, <laughs> Kevin Knox were brought up, I believe, by Bruce Beck. Um, uh, they, he said that they were talented, but they went through growing pains like many other young players while decide, declining to go any further into detail about either of their games or anyone's games because he hasn't gotten a chance to work with them, which is peculiar to me because I've seen press conferences with a bunch of coaches that have never worked with guys that would say, oh, I, I think this guy's interesting. I think this guy is, is fascinating. What did you make of... Tibbs' reluctance to talk about uh, the players on this team, particularly those two guys, and how do you see Frank and Knox fitting into this piece? Sure. Um, I think, well, the, the thing I would, the two little things I would add is I, when he mentioned RJ and Mitch, he specifically said that those are the two guys who, when he watched tape of the team, yeah, that they stood out. Yeah. Which I think is is true. I think anybody who watched tape of the Knicks last year, <laughs> Mitch, Mitch definitely yeah. stood out. And RJ, you know, I'm hard on him, but he did, he did show an ability to do some things that are, you know, I think could make him a really good player. I also like, look, he's not stupid. He knows the organization is, has already kind of put those two forth as, as foundational pieces. I think I'm 95% sure. Um, the question he mentioned Nilakina and Knox in response to a question that mentioned those two specifically. Yes. So I, I think that's, that's why he said those two names. Um, I personally, I love it because if he got up there yesterday and said something about how like, yeah, you know, Dennis Smith jr. I see a lot of potential in that, Like that dude was the worst player in the NBA last year. Um, who played significant. Minutes. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I I, I didn't need to watch 29 other teams play however many games they played to know that. That yeah. He was ass. Sorry, I don't know. If <laughs> it's all good. No, and I, and I, I feel bad saying that because he went through a terrible thing earlier in the season. But, like, I also there, – there have been attitude and work ethic questions that have, that have trailed him um, throughout his career and, like, where his priorities are. Um, and, you know, and, like, I'm the biggest Frank fan in the world, but, like, Frank – he wasn't a very good offensive player. He, he, when he got moved to the bench, he was, he was wonderful in, in facilitating that offense. And he, he had a really nice defensive year, maybe not the step up you would have expected. Knox was like, you know, we know what Knox was. He, he wasn't great. Although he had some nice moments, 
I think his attitude is going to just be like, listen, you're going to earn it here. Um, and I'm fine with that because unless they're going to tank this season, which, again, we, we don't even need to have that conversation because that was never going to happen the moment they hired Leon Rose. Unless they're going to do that, then the goal should be not to look as good as you can and win some games. And so, and, and do, and yes, there does need to be, I would say, three young players that when you leave, when you get to the end of next season, you're like, okay, if nothing else, we got those three dudes. One's hopefully going to be Mitch, one's hopefully going to be RJ, and the other one you think is going to be the draft pick this year, right? The first round pick. At this point, for me, anything else is gravy. You know, it's like, if, they, if he could get something out of Knox, if he could get something out of Frank, which I think he will, um, I think that's a bonus. But he he is not responsible for the, the, the sins of those who came before him. And he has to just take this situation as it is right now. And he's inheriting a guy in Kevin Knox who's entering his third year. It's like, regardless of how the organization has done him a massive disservice, and I do believe that they did by the amount of playing time they gave him and the diminished role they gave him last year, it's like it's put up for shut-up time. Like, this is your third year. So if Kevin Knox isn't good enough on opening day or whatever, the beginning of training camp, to earn one of those 10 rotation spots, I don't know how... I'll, I'll be mad at Perry and Mills for putting together the team last year, but I don't know that I could be mad about at Tibbs for that. Do you follow me? So yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. Personally, I think Frank is going to do well with him and Knox. I'm like, I don't know. I, I do. I still am a believer in Kevin Knox as an NBA player. I just I don't know if it's going to happen here. So we'll see. Now, one of the other major one of the what I took away from the press conference, one of the themes that they talked about or that Thibodeau talked about was his evolution as a coach. And obviously, if you're on social media, you've seen the millions of jokes about how Tom Thibodeau will play his, his players, you know, 48 and a half minutes a game. Um, what do you what did you make of him talking about, you know, all right, I've seen in recent years, the load management has come, uh, has evolved. And, you know, he's talked he talked about the, ne- the the need to play guys like Jimmy Butler and Lou all day, all of the minutes because guys like Durant and LeBron were playing a lot of minutes. Did you buy that uh, take? And what do you, or do you have any concerns about the stigma that Thibodeau has about, you know, young players playing excessive minutes? I mean, obviously we've seen Derrick Rose uh, go out early in his career with a knee injury. Zach Levine, another guy with a knee injury under Thibodeau. Is that something that you're concerned about at all? Personally, I'm not. Um, I think if you look at you know, even like um, Jamal Crawford was asked on Knicks Fan TV, I think it was a week or two ago, uh, about Tibbs, and he mentioned like Tibbs is going to play as starters a lot of minutes. Like actually, if you go back and look at his teams in Chicago, um, that wasn't true. I mean, it was there were always a couple starters he played a lot of minutes, but like every one of those teams had a starter or two that would play in like the low twenties or the mid twenties. Like I think his first year in Chicago, he had Keith Bogans, which. Is, was like a running joke in the NBA for a long time. Like the dude would start and play five minutes and then like not see the rest of the game. Like I think he averaged <laughs> right. 17 minutes a game that year and he started all 82 games. So I think that that reputation comes more as a factor of like, he got to Minnesota, 
he had a defined five that he want. He's like, okay, these are my five guys. I just need to get these guys because they're young as much court time together as possible. And then the only thing that changed the following year was he swapped out uh, Jang for Taj, um, Levine for Butler, and uh, Rubio for Teague. And but they're still still the same deal. Like he knew how he wanted to play, and he and like to me. If you have a five-man unit that you like and you want to play those guys together for upwards of 30 minutes a game, and hey, guess what? That five-man unit in 2017-18, they were plus like seven uh, net rating. Or yeah, plus they were an excellent nine. offensive unit. Yeah, they would, you know, they would on, on their own, they would have been like the, the third or fourth best team in the league. So in terms of the minute stuff, like again, you could look at Towns' minutes in other seasons and Wiggins' minutes in other seasons. I think so much of it comes down to that Rose injury and you know, whatever. But is he the only coach that would have left his best player in at the end of a playoff game? Like, that's a regular thing. A lot of coaches would have done that. He just happened to get the guy that was going to blow out his knee. I I think, was he paying a little lip service talking about sports scientists and athletic trainers? Eh, Maybe. But at the same time, (laughs) you know, he's not stupid. He knows literally, literally, the minute the a game ends and RJ Barrett sees more than 40 minutes. He knows that is going to be the lead story. Uh, I mean, Mike Vorkanoff, who I love, yeah. he did this last year. He was tracking the whole RJ minutes thing on a, literally on a daily basis, like, or, or game by game basis. So I think he knows that that's going to come if he plays guys two minutes. And I just, I don't think he's going to do it. I, I'm, I, of all the things I'm worried about on the Knicks, that's, I don't think that makes like the top 100. That's just me. Now, last podcast, I shouted out uh, Kevin Pelton from ESPN. I thought he did a great piece on, um, you know, Thibodeau and kind of why the Minnesota defense, or at least observing what happened with Minnesota's defense in those three years when he was there. He spoke about how other teams providing greater spacing and running more pick and roll to the top of the key uh, kind of negated a lot of Tibbs's um, principles when it comes to ice, as you talked about earlier, and the coverage and pick and roll and forcing guys on the wing to the baseline. Tibbs wasn't in Minnesota forever, and there was some modest improvement from the by, you know by the la- end of the, the last year he was there. They were like league average defensively. Very towards the very end, they, yeah. Like, after the oddly enough, after the Butler trade, uh, right? Yeah. So like, and you know we've gone back and forth with it. You know you look at okay, well you know what who are the guys you're playing? Does it have anything to do with the defensive slip? But are you concerned about Tibbles? Thibodeau's ability to bring that defensive reputation to the Knicks, considering he really didn't have three years or two and a half years in Minnesota where they played good defense. Yeah, I, you know, I I sat and I did uh, two like long newsletters uh, last week about um, his defense, his defenses in Chicago and in Minnesota, and I looked at just a ton of numbers in terms of how much the league changed. And my conclusion is basically like, and especially watching. You know, the games even we're seeing back on in Orlando. If you don't have, like, agile, smart defenders who know how to operate and, like, work together on a string, essentially, like, you're not going to be a good defense. And I don't put all the blame on Towns or Wiggins or Teague or, like, Jamal Crawford or um, they had a couple other not-so-great defenders, uh, Shabazz Muhammad. But, like... It's when you have that many players as part of your rotation 
and they're not they have a proclivity to not be good defenders. And then you have some internal like I think we should be switching more, which I had John Krasinski, who covered the Wolves uh, during Tibbs' time in Minnesota on a podcast last week. And he talked about how, like, the players were openly talking about, like, hey, we want to switch more and this and that. If you are running a system like that that requires that much um, precision and dedication and you you don't have full buy-in from your players and those players aren't very good defenders to begin with, you know, it's just not going to work. Now, in terms of... Did he, should he maybe have adjusted either simply to appease his players or yes, a little bit to, to, you know, deal with the changing times probably. But at the same time, like, do I still think that ice executed well can work in the league today? Yeah, of course you can. I mean, the concept of it is like you, you push the pick and roll and you, you know, make the pass harder and you have people knowing what rotation they need to make and how to make it. And like when I watched the old tape uh, of the Bulls, like you had guys like Kirk Heinrich and Mike Dunleavy Jr. and even like Pau Gasol. Like these aren't athletic defenders, but they tried hard and they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it. Um, he didn't always have that in Minnesota. So again, I think it's going to be a function of what players do they bring in? Is there that full buy-in? How quickly do they get guys out of here who maybe? don't buy in fully. And I got, that's, that's the other nice thing about this, which I think is his biggest, the biggest benefit is like, there's seven guaranteed contracts on the roster for next season. And one of those, I think is Iggy Brasdakis, who is not, you know, in terms of like players that matter, not, I shouldn't say that Iggy, Iggy Brasdakis doesn't matter. Uh, I have friends. And Iggy high is going to come for you for that. <laughs> I know. Right. But like, he needs to worry about having buy in from two dudes, RJ and Mitch. If anybody else doesn't have buy-in, guess what? See you later. Yeah. Like, and I don't think the front office would have made this higher if they thought for a second that RJ or Mitch was going to give Tibbs significant pushback on like instituting a, a, a way of of playing basketball. Now, for one of the things that we talk about on this YouTube channel uh, a lot is obviously the NBA draft, and I'm sure that's for a lot of Knicks fans the next step that's the thing that they're waiting for is lottery and then the draft um what does this Thibodeau hire to you mean considering look the last time Thibodeau was drafted in the top five or ten was well the last time they traded the pick for Jimmy Butler which which may concern some Knicks fans but beyond that they he drafted Chris Dunn his first year in Minnesota um what do you make of what the Knicks draft strategy could be now going forward and are there certain prospects for you that come to mind as Thibodeau guys, whether it be an Anthony Edwards or for it's me, not a, it's not Anthony know. Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> Onyeko Okongwu maybe, or are, are there maybe other guys that we're not thinking of? Um, I don't think Okongwu makes sense next to Mitch. I think Okongwu is the center, and I I wrote about this last month or a few weeks ago that like I think Okongwu was might be the safest pick in this entire draft, and I just it, it would the Knicks would have to like fall down to eight or nine for me to even have to consider him because I, it, to me, drafting that guy is basically a signal that you're either going to trade him or you're going to trade Mitch Robinson. So, <laughs> exactly. Play yeah. drafting two quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. Um, two quarterbacks means you have no quarterback. Um, in terms of like a Tibbs guy, um, you know, this is going to sound funny, but I've been texting uh, Spencer Perlman who had worked for the Suns uh, last, during last draft and, 
He's as good as anyone with draft he stuff. He has good like, draft he, he has LaMelo Ball number one on his board. I have LaMelo Ball number one on my board. And, like, yeah, did LaMelo fall asleep on defense in Australia? Yes, of course he did. Does he make stupid passes sometimes? Absolutely. But that dude is a basketball savant. And he sees the, he sees the floor in a way, and he, I think he respects the game in a way that, like, guys who love to hoop and who hoop for the right reasons – I don't think I th- that's a typical typical guy to me. Like even though Lamelo Ball again on the on the surface you'd be like eh, I don't know. Like to me that's right. a tips guy. You know Isaac Okoro is an obvious one because he's probably he's not yeah. probably he, he is the best defender in the in the that's slated to go in the lottery. Um, and he Denny could Avdia. What's that? Denny Avdia. I like Denny. Um, I think Denny's a better defender than he gets credit for by people who don't actually watch the tape. I think, but then, so I just mentioned between him and Okoro, those are not point guards, obviously. So, and the team needs a point guard. So I just did a whole piece on this a a few days ago or yesterday, actually, I'm losing track of the days. Like the team needs a point guard. And like, I don't care what wizardry Thibodeau spins. If they don't have a point guard, nothing he does is going to matter. So that's my, if you're asking me like my biggest question, and I don't know the answer to it going into next year is like, okay, if that's their biggest need, and the most obvious and easiest place to fill that need is through the draft. But rookie point guards are bad. And that even goes for LaMelo Ball. I think LaMelo Ball is going to struggle next year. Um, but, but anybody, like Kira, Cole, um, Tyrese Halliburton, who I'm not very high on. Like, So what What do they do there? Do they bring in you know, like a DJ Augustine, uh, who played under Tibbs and had a great numbers for one year in Chicago, to like be the starter and, and, and play with and then bring the rookie off the bench. How will that fly with the fan base? Are they even going to care how it flies with the fan base? I don't know. Um, the Alfred Payton yes. thing didn't go well, so I don't know if uh, – dude, considering what happened to Alfred Payton kind of filling that role this year, you know. But but you know what? Payton – look, he's not the long-term answer because you just you can't have a point guard unless he's Ben Simmons. And even, even Simmons is not the point guard anymore for Philly. But I was going to say, you can't have a point guard in the league against you can't isn't a threat from outside so you know i think alfred payton is a nice backup in the right unit but he can't be the starter anymore um but the sad thing is he was the best point guard option for this team last year and that's how you know they are they have the worst point guard situation of anybody in the league and i say that as a frank fan but i'm a fan of frank filling a role as a secondary ball handler kind of jack of all trades type of player at this point i don't think you know unless they go out and get a shot creator who could also do some ball handling you know, which Zach Levine's name is obviously out there. Like, I don't think Frank should be starting next year. I think they need a real point guard. Um, and I, I think probably the biggest challenge Tibbs is going to have on his hands is how how quickly is he going to be able to bring that guy along and how much is he going to be able to incorporate that player in, into what they do on the floor next season. Now, one more thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, you made earlier, you made a comment about how, you know, the Knicks didn't necessarily bring in Leon Rose to tank. You know, we mentioned how, uh, you know, the last time the, the Thibodeau drafted in the top five or ten that he traded the Lowry marketing pick for Jimmy Butler. What do you think uh, will be the Knicks' strategy this offseason when it comes to uh, possibly pursuing big-name players that we won't name because we don't know who they are <laughs> well, necessarily yet, but I- it's out there. 
what what do you think their strategy will be in terms of pursuing certain guys out there? They're, I mean, I, I don't, I would be surprised if they were under the impression that they could get any of the, like the big, big names. Um, and you're right. We don't need to talk about them because they're not in a position to trade for those guys because they don't have anyone on the roster right now that is good enough to send back in a deal. And this yeah. draft is not the type of draft where even if you land the number one pick, like, you know, for just um, again, for argument's sake, if, if they got the number one pick in the draft and they, and they called Phoenix tomorrow and they're like, here, we'll give you the number one pick in RJ Barrett. Like Phoenix is going to hang up the phone on them and laugh as they should. Um, you know, and that, that is true for whoever you want to say, Donovan Mitchell, like any, any of the players of that, of that caliber. Right. And again, I, I feel like I have to have a, a, a warning label whenever I talk about RJ Barrett, that is not to disparage RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett's going to be a very nice player, but like, when you're talking about those caliber of stars and like bringing them in, they're just not in a position to do that this year. So do I think that they will pursue a name? Yes. I'm in the process of writing something now about Zach Levine. I think he is by far and away the most obvious trade target for them because um, I always look at the agent. The agent is the first thing I always look towards. So he's uh, represented by uh, Bill Duffy, who represents R.J. Barrett. Um, I mean, he built off. He represents like half the league, so that's not, you know, the, the biggest thing. But Luka Doncic to the Knicks. Uh, well, yeah, Doncic is also another guy, and I actually think the sneaky best destination for um, Levine is the Mavericks. But I don't want to put that into the universe because I think they would be really good if they got him. Um, anyway, uh, you know, he represented Joakim Noah once upon a time, who obviously got a lot of money from the Knicks. So Bill Duffy has that relationship there. Um, you know, there's articles coming out every day about Chicago. That situation is not good. I think Levine, I think I think they will absolutely look to move him. Um, the only question is, what is the price going to be? And I think that is going to come down to how many people seriously want his services. And I actually think that there's going to be smart, I think smart teams will want to trade for that guy because they're going to look at a guy who like does a lot of stuff that you can't teach. And yeah, of course there's issues on defense and there's some issues with decision-making that like, if you, if you give him too much responsibility on offense, they're going to, there's going to be a problem. And like on defense, yeah, can he, is, is it going to be bad sometimes? But I think smart teams are going to look at that guy and be like, wait a minute, we could get a guy who puts up this, like these stats on this efficiency and can shot create at this level. So I think the Knicks are going to have a little competition. Um, and I don't know, like, you know, would it shock me if the Knicks sent out their own first-round pick in, like, a Levine trade this year? It wouldn't shock me. Do I think they'll do it? Probably not. Um, almost certainly. I shouldn't say almost certainly not, but, like, nothing would surprise me. I think they, they, like, I think they want to get good sooner rather than later while bringing along R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Um, other other than Levine, I don't think they're going to sign anybody in free agency to more than one year. Um, I would be surprised if they extended Frank because, again, that contract's going to go for more than a year. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, like, you know, they'll get a stretch four. I don't know who it's going to be, but they'll get a stretch four. I'm sure they'll try to move Randall. I don't think they're going to be able to remove Randall. Um yeah, that's about it. And they'll, and they'll get a point guard somewhere, 
probably probably off the trade uh, or off the free agency market. There you have it, Jonathan Macri, Knicks Film School SI. Thank you so much for joining us. We gotta do this again soon. Anytime, guys. Uh, always good to uh, talk hoops with people who know what they're talking about, which you guys definitely do. So uh, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, man, talk to you guys soon. Be well. That's what's up. Take it easy, man. Yep. Thank you.